Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth becomes so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're looking, it's tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded, a blank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who's riding in the sand Make the righteous turn away And the stones fall from their hands Help us to remember We are all the least of these Let the memory of your mercy Bring our people to their knees Nobody knows what we're for Only what we're against When we judge the wounded what if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and love like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy.
fight for sinners just like me, a grateful lover at your feet. Thank you, Steve and Amanda, for that song. If you have your prayer sheet, I would invite you to open it. And um, I want to mention a few folks that are there, uh, but I also have a couple of uh, folks that I, I need to mention that uh, are not on our list. Uh, first of all, let me read a note that uh, Tim Wilbert had just uh, given me. Uh, Brian and Nicole, uh, they're of course up in Alaska, they were blessed with their third son, Car Carson Timothy, born on Monday, January the 4th at 10.59 p.m., However, Nicole was taken to the ER with a blood clot in her right leg, but sent home, lit, home later uh, that night with medication, and everything's going fine at this point. So we thank the Lord uh, for that. So uh, three little boys, uh, uh, sons of Brian and Nicole Wilbert. So continue to pray for uh, that family in Alaska. Also heard from uh, Bill Kiefer. Uh, before Sunday school, he kind of pulled uh, into the church and ran into the church to uh, give information to us. Uh, their uh, son-in-law, Joe Straub's father, uh, had a heart attack and uh, is going to be going in or already is in for open heart surgery. Uh, his name is Gene Straub, and we need to pray for Gene, uh, who's going to be going in or is already in uh, for open heart surgery. Charlie Bechtel's with us this morning. Charlie, good to see you. Uh, of course, he's all strapped up a little bit, but uh, are you doing well? Good. Thumbs are up. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. No throwing baseball for a while, but um, it's good to have you with us this morning. <laughs> Excuse me. Also, uh, please keep Gene Miller in prayer. Uh, Gene was taken to the hospital uh, this past Thursday. Um, he was uh, getting dizzy, um, he was very weak, and learned that um, he had, um, um, what am I trying to say, some kind of a, 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 an internal bleeding issue. And um, they apparently have gotten that under control now with, with medication, um, but we believe, as of yesterday, he remained in the hospital. So I don't know whether today he might be able to come home or not. So keep... Uh, Gene Miller in prayer. Um, again, taken to the hospital on Thursday, Thursday as the community general. Uh, that's the old osteopathic and um, very weak. Uh, he's getting very weak, so uh, we just need to continue to pray uh, for Gene. Let's pray together. Father, with these things being said and these names being mentioned, uh, Father, it's our responsibility uh, to pray and to intercede on behalf of those, Lord, who um, we know, some, Lord, names like Gene Straub that we, we don't know, and yet by the same take, token, Lord, knowing the situation, knowing the illness, knowing the problem, uh, Father, Father, we feel compelled uh, to bring uh, these folks before you. We're thankful, Lord, this morning. We certainly do want to praise you and thank you that you have brought this little boy into the world, Carson Timothy. Uh, we're thankful that you have blessed uh, Brian and Nicole with three uh, wonderful little boys and pray that, Lord, you would uh, continue to strengthen Nicole, uh, continue to help them as they bring up these three boys in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Father, we don't know Gene Straub, at least I don't know this man in a personal way, but, Father, we know him through the Kiefers and uh, through Jen and Joe Straub, and we pray for him. Now we ask that, Father, the uh, surgery would go well, uh, that, Father, there was not uh, too much damage with the heart attack, and pray that through this surgery he might uh, be restored to good health. Uh, Father, we are thankful that uh, Charlie was able to have this a rotator cuff surgery. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, for the success of the surgery and now, Father, the recovery. 
the process of, of, of healing. We pray that it goes quick. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would watch over Charlie and, uh, Father, that very soon he would be restored and be able to get good motion and strength in that right arm. Father, again, we're always saddened when we hear when uh, Gene is taken again into the hospital. Uh, Father, it's been many visits to the hospital for this man, and Father, we know that uh, you know, the cancer is in his body, and we know, Lord, the struggle that he has had and continues to have. We're thankful, Lord, that the medication has been able to somewhat get this internal bleeding under control. We pray, Lord, that you might give him strength, you might uh, lift his spirits, help him to, him to be able to return home. And so, Lord, we commit him to you. Uh, here's a dear man, Lord, who uh, we know very well, he and Marlene, and we just ask, Lord, that uh, you might give to them a double portion of your strength, of your strength and your grace. Father, you said that you will never uh, leave us nor forsake us, that you would always be there for us, that you would be that strong rock, that refuge in times of need. Lord, this is one of those extreme times when a couple needs you most. And so we ask, Lord, that you would show yourself in wonderful ways to this couple. Touch the body of Jean, we do pray. Father, for others on this list, we certainly are thankful that you have answered prayers. Some, Lord, you have not as yet. But, Father, we commit, Lord, these on this list to you. We are thankful that we're able to do so. Father, we thank you, too, for our time this morning. Father, this is a wonderful time that you've given to us as your children, as your body, be able to come together to sing praises to your name, to pray together in agreement. Father, we're here to fellowship with one another as we've just experienced. Lord, it's good to be able to see one another. Uh, sometimes, Lord, it's only once a week. It's only this time. But, Father, we value and we treasure, Lord, these moments that you give us together because we are truly a family uh, the family of God. We pray, Lord, this morning that your word might be powerful, active, living, sharp. We pray, Lord, that you would use by your spirit your word to penetrate our hearts, to move into our lives and change us. Father, as a result of our coming in contact with your word, hearing your word, I thank you so much, Lord, for your son, for your son, Jesus, who, Lord, Steve and Amanda have just sung about, one who has come into this world, a world filled with sin and outcasts and enemies of yours, and yet, Father, you have loved them with a love that is beyond our imagination. We're thankful for that love. We thank you that that love has been demonstrated in so many different ways, but especially there on the hill called Calvary. When, God, you demonstrated your love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are thankful, too, Lord, that you've given us verses like Romans 8 that reminds us that all things work together for good. Father, we don't always see that in the midst of the storm. Father, when we're in the middle of the trials and laying on our backs in hospitals, and Father, we anticipate surgery or bad things to come, Father, we don't always realize that somehow you are working behind the scenes to bring good even out of evil, even out of trials, even out of hardship to those who are your children. There are no accidents, Lord, in the lives of your people. Father, you're always working in your great providence 
and sovereignty behind the scenes. So help us to acknowledge who you are. You are the great and you're the awesome and omnipotent God. With you, Lord, nothing is impossible. And we thank you that we have come this day to worship you in spirit and in truth. Remove the distractions. Father, we all come with baggage. We come with things on our hearts and minds filled with the outside world. But I pray that, Lord, you might put a hedge around us for these next few moments. That, Lord, we might be able to focus, might be able to hear clearly a word from you. Once again, Father, we are thankful for the salvation, which is ours through Jesus alone. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must, must be born again. And we're thankful, Lord, that in Jesus, we discover salvation. We find salvation in him. Salvation that brings life. So we are thankful this morning for our time and pray that, Father, you might come in a special way, penetrate our hearts and penetrate our lives with the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness, number 37. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing this hymn, and then those in junior church can be dismissed. Hymn number 37.
I don't know whether you know it or not, but sometimes uh, those outside the church uh, complain about the people inside the church. You ever know that? I'm not just talking about this church, but all churches in general. There are people in the world that um, don't have much time for those folks that go to church. Uh, you may have heard complaints like this. The church is full of hypocrisy. Or the church people are very judgmental. And unfortunately, <laughs> I suppose that's often true. We as a church, we don't always practice what we preach. I suppose it's true that there are even a few here today that might have a judgmental attitude. In the book of Romans, and we have started this book last week, in this series of Romans, in chapter 7, uh, we come to a very interesting section, uh, a section that deals with being judgmental. Last week we looked at chapter 1, and in chapter 1 we spoke of the Gentiles. We said that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. As a matter of fact, it was the gospel that obligated Paul. It was a gospel that caused Paul to be very eager to share and preach the gospel. And we didn't cover in great detail the end of chapter 1, but in that section, it speaks of the wrath of God, it speaks about ungodliness, it speaks about wickedness, and this wrath of God being poured out upon this unbelieving world. And so Paul says that God, he gave them over to three times. He gave them over to. And in chapter 1, Paul is dealing with the Gentiles. He's writing to a church in Rome. And in this church in Rome, it is predominantly Gentiles. But there are a few Jews. So in chapter 1, what Paul is establishing is the fact that the Gentiles are under sin. That the Gentiles are under sin. Now he comes to chapter 2. And you know, you can almost hear as he starts to address the Jews who are in the church, preach it, brother. Condemn those Gentiles. That's right. But what does Paul do? Paul comes to, comes to chapter 2 and he says, wait a minute. You Jews who condemn the Gentiles... You Jews who are singing now your hallelujahs because I have just stated that the Gentiles are under the wrath of God. You too are condemned. And you too do the same things as these Gentiles that you're condemning. And so in chapter 2, Paul establishes the fact that the Jews are also under sin. Now next week we'll look at chapter 3. And in chapter 3, you know the familiar verses. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So what Paul is doing in these opening verse chapters is he's establishing the fact that we have all sinned. The Gentiles, chapter 1, the Jews, chapter 2, chapter 3, everybody. Everybody. So with that being said, I want to read... And see what Paul has to say in these opening verses of chapter 2. What he says about God's judgment. God's judgment. You see, he establishes certain principles in these opening verses. of uh, Principles of judgment against those who are relying on anything other than Jesus alone. And as you know, as we've spoken before, the Jews were relying on a lot of different things. They were relying on their heritage. They were relying on the law. They were relying on their circumcision. All these other things. And God says, 
I will judge you as I will also judge the Gentiles. Chapter 2 and verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, passes judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and mortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. The Jews were relying on other things other than Jesus alone. They were relying on their heritage. They were relying on the law. They were relying on circumcision for their righteousness. And therefore, Paul says, you will be judged. You will be judged. And in this text that I just read, we find the basis for this judgment. God's judgment is based upon what? Well, first of all, he says, my judgment is based on your standards for others. Look at verse 1 once again. You, therefore, you have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment, you do the same things. Jesus basically said the same thing in Matthew chapter 7. He said, do not judge or you will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, the Jews, after the reading of chapter 1 in the congregation, uh, they were happy to sit in judgment against the Gentiles. But Paul says that they were not acting any differently than the Gentiles were acting. As a matter of fact, if you look in verse 1 at the very end, it uses a little word, do. It says, uh, who pass judgment, you do the same things. And even in, in verse 2, it says, against those who do such things. You see the word do, D-O? It's the same word back in chapter 1 at the very end in verse 32. 
although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things, these are the Gentiles, they're doing certain things, they deserve death. They not only continue to do these very same things, but approve of those who practice them. Here's the Gentiles who are doing certain things. Paul says, you Jews, you're doing the exact same things. And yet you are judging them. You are condemning them. And here Paul exposes the great hypocrisy of the Jews. They look at others, but they're not looking at themselves. Now let's be clear about something here. Let's be clear about what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a judgmental, an arrogant, a hypocritical attitude. This attitude of the Jews that somehow makes ourselves better. We set ourselves up on this great pedestal as we judge others and look down upon them. This is not talking about making moral judgments. Paul has already done that in chapter 1. We're not talking about saying things like stealing is wrong. We're not talking about things like gossip ought not be a part of the Christian life. We're not talking about those moral judgments. Paul has already done that in chapter 1. He's already pointed out certain attitudes and actions that were sinful. Paul is talking about this, this attitude, this judgmental attitude of arrogance in looking down at the works of others. I, I love the song, Steve, that you and Amanda sang. It was very interesting. Uh, the one text, and I didn't know that this was a song. I actually have never heard that, but it, it spoke about the plank in one's eye. Uh, I was reading a commentary this week, and the question was, uh, do you have plank eye? Not pink eye. You know, you think of people having pink eye, this very contagious thing that goes on in the Do you have plank eye? You know, a lot of Christians have plank eye. You know what plank eye is? Well, look at Luke. Look at Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about plank eye. Uh, plank eye. Luke chapter 6 and verse uh, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Plank eye. <laughs> you know, plank eye that, that, that sees uh, the faults in others, but you never see the fault in yourself. Remember David and Bathsheba? And David, he one night, he looks across and he sees on the rooftop, he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And he had to have her and he takes her, commits adultery, and then later even has her husband killed in battle. And David doesn't look and, and, and see himself as this great guilty man until a man by the name of Nathan, a prophet, he comes along and sits down with David one day and starts to tell David this story. And he tells David this story about a, a man who committed adultery with a woman and, and committed murder. And David, is, is, his hair raises up and says, that man ought to be condemned. And what does Nathan say? David, you are that man. You know, it's so easy to see faults in others and not see the same things in us. John Stott, I read a quote and I, I want to share it with you this morning. He said that Paul uncovers in these verses, referring to these opening verses of chapter 2, a strangely human foible, F-O-I-B-L-E. I have no idea in the world what that, I had no idea what that word meant, so I went to the dictionary. It means shortcoming or a flaw. So Paul uncovers in these verses a strangely human flaw or a shortcoming, namely our tendency to be critical of everybody except ourselves. 
we're often as harsh in judgment of others as we are lenient toward ourselves. That's so true, isn't it? We can be so harsh and be judgmental against others, but we can be very lenient when it comes to ourselves. Those were the Jews. The Jews saw the fault in the Gentiles, but they couldn't see the fault in themselves. They should have spent a little more time looking at their own lives than judging the lives of the Gentiles. I suppose we ought to as well. We're very quick to look at someone else and point out the fault. I think the song even spoke of a finger. You know, the one you've heard, the finger that points to others when you have all of these fingers pointing back. It's very easy to be judgmental of others and be harsh, but be very lenient on ourselves. When we, as Paul says, we do oftentimes the very same things. God's judgment is going to be based upon our standard, the standard that we place upon others. But not only that, but it says in verse 2 that God's judgment will be based on truth. God's judgment will be based upon truth. The facts, truth, opposed to falsehood, reality, as opposed to appearance. Back in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, listen to what the author has to say, starting at verse 12. He says, for the word of God is alive. The word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it judges, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God, the written word is active in accomplishing God's purposes. It never returns void, but it always accomplishes that for which it is sent out. The Word of God is active, and it's living. That is, it judges with an all-seeing eye, penetrating a person's innermost being. Now, you know that. You know that at times when you sit down and you read the Word of God and it just penetrates your heart. It convicts you of something that you've been doing. It points out a flaw or a weakness. And it penetrates very deeply into your heart. But then in verse 13, it speaks about God. It speaks about that there's nothing in creation hidden from the sight of God. And I like what the NIV Study Bible says in the footnote. It says, the author associates the activity of the word, the written word in verse 12, with the activity of God in verse 13, as though they are one and the same, which in a sense they are. Here's the written word, and it penetrates to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and God, in verse 13, he also penetrates our hearts with his all-knowing eyes. That's why Paul is saying that God judges according to truth. He has all the facts. He's omniscient. That's why God alone is the judge. That's why we ought not judge, because we never have all the facts. We never know all the circumstances. I haven't walked in your shoes. How can I judge you for your actions? With an arrogant, critical attitude. Nothing is hidden from God. That's why God alone is qualified to judge. And God will judge. He judges according to truth. Real truth. The facts. And we can be assured that this judgment of God's will be based upon that. We also discover in this text that God's judgment is going to be based on works. Look at verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
Now you say, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't like when you start talking about being judged according to works because salvation is not of works lest any man should boast. We know that uh, salvation is by grace through faith and that alone. Lest no man boast. No one's going to get to heaven someday and boast of good works, boast of their righteousness, because there is no boasting, because you aren't saved by works. However, we are judged by works. These Jews were trusting other things other than Jesus. And these Jews who Paul is speaking about in Rome, they were seeking a righteousness but a righteousness as they obeyed the law. A righteousness because they've been circumcised. A righteousness because we are of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And based on all of these things, we are right with God. And Paul says, no, that's just not true. As a matter of fact, righteousness in the Bible is described as filthy rags. Is it not? Back in the Old Testament, your righteousness is as filthy rags and trying to be right with God in your own efforts, your own merit, it comes and amounts to nothing. Now, back in Revelation chapter 20, uh, we read about those who are trying to become uh, right with God through any means other than through Jesus. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it speaks about God judging unbelievers. That God will someday judge those who have never trusted solely in Jesus alone. In Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens, they fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, the spiritually dead, Great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead, the spiritually dead, were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There will come a day when unbelievers who have never trusted Christ, who tried to become right with God through their own righteousness, they will stand before God someday, the books will be opened, and they will be judged according to what they've done according to their works. This does not determine heaven or hell. They're already headed to a Christless eternity. Now, you say, I'm glad we're not going to be judged. Wait a minute. <laughs> if you're a Christian this morning, and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you know that you're part of the family of God, that you're part of God's uh, family, uh, you know that you have eternal life, you have no question about that. Let me read what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, Wait a minute, Christians, you're not off the hook uh, because a judgment is waiting for you as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11 says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. What is it? Ten, thank you. I had 11 in my notes. I thought, that's just, that certainly doesn't look right. All right, for, for we must all appear. Now, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian Christians. Now, they were a bad lot. <laughs> they had a lot of problems in the Corinthian church, but they didn't know the Lord. They were Christians. And he says, we, including himself, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And then he goes on to say uh, in verse 11, I, maybe that's where I found verse 11, it speaks about uh, knowing what it is to fear the Lord in the context of, of future judgment. That there ought to be in mankind, in Christians, there ought to be a fear of the Lord. Not a, I'm, I'm afraid of God, but, but a terror, I think the King James says. A terror knowing that we someday will stand before God and give an account of the things that we've done as a result of our lives. So we too will be judged. Again, this is not a determination of 
heaven or hell. Paul and those included in this verse are already headed to heaven, but it's a matter of rewards or a lack of rewards. But someday, the Bible says that we too will be judged according to what we have done in our bodies. And we will appear. We must appear. It's not something you can call ahead and reschedule or say, you know what, I just don't think I want to be there on that day. You will appear. You must appear. You must show up. God's judgment is going to be based on works. For those who have never trusted Jesus, they stand at the great white throne and will be judged. For you and I, who know the Lord, we've trusted Christ, we, we know we're part of God's family, that's a great thing. We know we're bound for heaven, no question. Jesus now is preparing a place for us. We spoke this morning in Sunday school about never ever being separated from the love of God. Once saved, we're always saved. We're given eternal life that goes on forever and ever. But the day is still coming, Paul says, when we too will stand before the Lord and be judged. Judged according to what we've done in this life. The fourth judgment is based upon what you know. He says we're going to be judged according to what we know. Down in verse 12 in Romans chapter 2, he says that all who have sinned apart from the law will perish apart from the law. Who are they? The Gentiles, right? They didn't have the law. Gentiles weren't given the law. And all who sin under the law, they're going to be judged by the law. Those are the Jews. The Jews were given the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law, they do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. The Jews did have an advantage in a certain sense. They were given the law. Uh, they, in the Old Testament, they were uh, you know, given the Ten Commandments when Moses went to Mount Sinai and came back with the laws written on stone. And the Jews were able to see them, read them. The Jews had the law, and they will be judged according to what they had. The Gentiles, on the other hand, who did not have the law, they can't be judged according to the law that was given to the Jews, but the Gentiles are not off the hook <laughs> because there's a, an internal law. There's this law that's been, that's been written on their hearts. I, I don't have the time to uh, take a look at uh, C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote a book, Mere Christianity, and he explains in the very beginning about two men that are quarreling. And um, these two men, although they differ greatly, one thing they have in common is they recognize their rights and wrongs. You know, we have been created in God's image. And because we have been created in the image of God, stamped on our hearts is a sense of right and wrong. And so that law that has been written on our hearts acts and functions very much like the law that was given to Israel back in the Old Testament. So the Jews have a law, the Gentiles have a law, and we're judged according to the light and revelation that we've been given. Everyone has this moral compass within us. Now, it's certainly not infallible, but it acts, as someone said, like a moral smoke alarm when we violate the standards of God. You've often read the Word of God and you uh, have done something or you've been doing something and you read the Word of God and that smoke alarm goes off and you say to yourself, I'm just not doing right or I've been doing something that is wrong. Because we've been created in God's image, uh, these laws have been stamped on our hearts. The Gentiles are going to be judged, not by the Mosaic law, they didn't have that, but by the natural impulse without this external law. And it says in verse 11 that God is fair and God is just. And he always is. Judges us according to the light we have. You know, I've often thought when I, would, when I read verses like this, I often thought of, you know, we who have been Christians forever, you know, we grew up in a church, we came through Awana, we memorized verses. All this information we have about God, 
all the scripture passages we know by heart. All this light and revelation that has been given to us. How we are going to be judged accordingly. That doesn't relieve others uh, you know, from not reading the Word of God, but I often wonder of you know, myself, for example, who <laughs> I'm being paid to study the Word of God and preach. The information I have and the light that I've received and the revelation that I have. And God says you're going to be judged accordingly uh, to the light and revelation that I've given to you. And we all will be, based on what we know. David, thou art that man. David, you are that man. And so what do we do? Oftentimes, we look at others and we condemn them when we're doing the very same things. We often look at others and we say, adultery, oh my word, how in the world can you do that? And Jesus said, well, you've heard that said, but I say to you, you look at a woman with lust. How can you condemn him when you're doing the very same thing in the quietness of your home? We condemn murders in the streets, and rightly so. I'm not saying, you know, that's, we should say that's all right. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, how often do we become angry with one another? You see, it's easy to point the finger and be harsh with others when we're very lenient with ourselves. That was the Jews. Condemn the Gentiles when they're doing the same things. All right, we need to wrap this up. Um, just a couple of things as I close this morning. How can we keep from doing what the Jews were doing? How can you and I keep from doing what the Jews were doing? Condemning others when we ourselves, we do the same thing. Maybe it's a little different, but by and large, when you look at others and you condemn them, start to think about yourself and what you're doing. How can we keep from being like the Jews? First of all, act like a saint. You know what a hypocrite is? The definition of a hypocrite is a person who acts contrary to who he really is. A hypocrite is a person who acts contrary to who he really is. Who does God say you are? Who are you in the eyes of God? God says you are a saint. God says you are righteous and you are holy. We need to act that way. We need to act according to what God says we are, who God says we are. We have been forgiven. We are new creations. And we need to act like who we are. Whether you feel like it or not, we need to act like saints. We need to act like children of the king. And then secondly, stop playing God. We often play God when we judge others. Stop playing God. That's God's role. You don't know the facts. You don't have all the information. And when we usurp the authority of God and try to be the judge of others, it's not a good place to be. That is not a good place to be. How can we avoid being like the Jews? Start acting like a saint. And stop playing God. Stop playing God. Father, we thank you this morning for our time in your word. Father, I suppose if we were all to examine ourselves, we would all find ourselves guilty. Guilty as charged. Guilty, Father, for condemning others when in fact we too, maybe nobody knows it, but we too are doing oftentimes the very same things. Father, help us, forgive us, and convict us of these things, Lord, that we do secretly and quietly. Help us to be careful not to point a finger at others when, Father, as Paul says, we need to look more at our own lives and a little bit less at others. So we thank you for your word, as powerful as it has been. Lord, we know that this is what your word does. It does convict of sin. And so, Father, I pray if there is hypocrisy among us, hypocritical judgment of others, 
that, Lord, we would understand that, Father, we better take a better look at the plank in our own eyes and not worry so much about the speck of sawdust in someone else's. Father, we love your word because it, it does oftentimes step on our toes. And Father, sometimes we need that. And so we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Hymn number 385. Hymn number 385. Let's stand together and we'll sing and be dismissed. <clears throat> Take my again we thank you for the lives that you've given to us help us in these lives to act like a saint to act like who we are to act like those who belong to the king in Jesus name I pray amen